0: Thanks for listening to The Benefits Breakdown. Stay tuned until the end of our next episode titled Post-Elections and What Comes Next for Employers in 2023 and Beyond to receive a code for Sherm credit. Now enjoy the episode.
1: Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of The Benefits Breakdown. I'm Vanessa Longnecker here with
2: Hey, everybody. Jared
0: Bokud's here. Hello, everybody. Adam Compton, Benefits Breakdown podcast team is pumped, excited, ready to have some fun with not just one, but two guests today talking about caregiving. This is an absolutely essential topic. Employers and the teammates need to understand this. And we are so delighted to welcome Kelly Polinsky and Avenue Fortingo from our team. We can't wait to get into this. But before we get into the fun of caregiving, we care about you. So let's talk about who you are first, and I'd love to know a little bit about your role within Brown and Brown, and then a little bit of fun, if you don't mind, sharing about something outside of the world of insurance and and population health that you might do on a day-to-day basis. So Kelly, can I turn it to you? And as a national population health consultant, what are you doing on a day-to-day basis with Brown and Brown?
3: Day-to-day basis, and thanks, Adam. Um, yes, so I'm population health consultant, and I work and focus primarily in the mid-market and uh, help to lead our team of Population health consultants across the country who are also working with those mid-market customers in bringing really good solutions to help uh, the our employer groups keep their employees healthy and connect them with the the right resources. Uh, as far as day to day, I am also a caregiver, and much of my time outside of work is poured into the attention of my three and five-year-olds who demand that attention incessantly.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you, Kelly, and, and Avenue. We shift it to you, and a little bit about your role.
4: You bet, Avenue Fortingo, um, population health consultant with Brown and Brown. Very similar role to Kelly. I focus on large market, and in terms of day to day, I work with our clients, employers, to develop, um, design, deliver innovative population health and well-being solutions to support their people and their workforce. So topic of caregiving is dear to heart and I think very relevant today. A little bit about me. I'm similar to Kelly. I'm also a caregiver to two children, um, 14-year-old teenager. I think she would disagree. And uh, a nine-year-old fourth grader. So um, most of my mornings begin with getting a nine-year-old ready for school. And that's the best part of my day.
2: I love it.
1: I love it. Love it. Obviously, when when we think of caregiver, I think that, that that terminology has expanded and morphed into new ways. How do you define caregiver in your world as population health consultants?
3: I think we both just raised the example of parents. But as you've pointed out, Vanessa, that definition goes far beyond uh, just parenting, even though that's where our heads tend to go first. So, you know, caregivers are those who give care uh, to others, whether that be people who are young or old, and uh, they could be chronically ill, they could have special needs, but I like to think of um, Rosalind Carter has a quote that there are only four kinds of people in the world, those who have been caregivers, who are currently caregivers, or who will be caregivers, and those who will need caregiving. So uh, the the question is not who is a caregiver, it's more who is not a caregiver, because I think we are all at some point or other going to be in that boat.
0: I think the industry, we think of people that were somebody that you're supporting in a hospital setting or they're out of work, or I think that's where a lot of our employer friends are historically thinking of vendor solutions and partners that are there to support what is a smaller population. But Kelly, from the first intro to what you're sharing, and, and maybe- avenue to, to your expertise as well, let's kind of broaden that. And, and I think just openly agree, but how do we define that? And then why is it important that we define that before we take action on it?
4: You know, you, you both make really excellent points. Um, I was reading up on um, a study um, by a couple of professors from Harvard University. And they talk about the fact that American companies sort of drastically underestimate the sheer number of caregivers in their workforce, right? And they estimate that something like 73% 73 of all employees are caregivers. Now, Adam, using your example of sort of significant disruption with something more acute, one would expect maybe lower 10% of the population being impacted by this. But if you think about the broad spectrum of caregiving, which is, I need a couple of hours out of my day, for example, right, to drop off whether it's children or to do something for, or, you know, aging parents, and I just need that time, those needs, right, also factor into that spectrum. And then the, the sort of more acute end of that spectrum is actually taking an extended period of time to care for someone, for example, who's dealing with a difficult medical issue. So I think the measurement piece here is really important as we consult to employers to just sort of take a step back and appreciate the fact that most of your employees, right, our caregivers. And whether it's using employee listening poll surveys to determine that, or just having the workplace culture of caring where people feel vulnerable to talk about their caregiving responsibilities, I think it's a critical first step to actually solving for some of the disruption that we're seeing in
2: the workplace today. Abney, that's a great comment. And I think it kind of sparks the question. Actually, before I go into my question, I have to say, I'm super excited to have two of my favorite teammates on with us today. Abbott and Kelly are just fantastic. I wish everyone out there could spend some time with them. They're just two of the greatest people out there. But anyways, what your comment makes me think, why are we talking about this on an employee benefits focused podcast? Mm-hmm. And I would love to kind of get some context to how this ev- has evolved over time to where we are having this conversation on the employee benefits focused podcast and, and why employers should really be focused on this and it's part of the conversation that employers are starting to have on a regular basis when it comes to employee benefits.
3: Yeah, I think it's it's really good that we're talking about it here in, in this venue because caregivers are everywhere. They're not always who you think they are. Oftentimes, it isn't visible. It's not somebody who's going out on leave to take care of somebody or is pregnant and needs to leave on maternity leave, those are really obvious examples that are very visible. But uh, as Avenue just mentioned, it's, it's everywhere. It's almost everybody. So care, caregiving itself is not the problem. And I think there has been this historical perception of like, oh, caregivers, they, they're they going to be pulled away and their attention's going to be disrupted. Uh, we are social creatures and we take care of each other. And that's a good thing, and we want to allow for that, and allow for us to take the time that we need to take care of each other, while also having good, purposeful work that we can find time to do, and and have that balance. So I think the reason that we're bringing it to this discussion about benefits is how do you create a, a benefits in a, in a work environment that allows for people to meet those necessary human obligations of of taking care of each other. and that's something that employers are more and more cognizant of and are looking for solutions on how to help their and support their employees to to find that balance and to uh, meet all of those obligations.
4: And, and I would also um to, to to add to Kelly's points in terms of why should we care? why should employers care so, You know, being a caregiver takes a significant toll on one's own mental health, right? And on one's own well-being. And it increases the likelihood of being stressed, being anxious, being depressed, right? Um, There's some data collected by the CDC in in late 2020, looking into early 2021, which says that seven of the 10 U.S. adults um, who are parents or care for an adult with a health condition Um, reported at least one recent adverse mental health, um, you know, effect. So that mental health, connection between mental health and caregiving is something that is significant, right? Um, And we've also seen record numbers of employees leave the workforce because of caregiver responsibilities. Um, I think one in three workers with a caregiving duty have left the workforce. And this has a disproportionate impact on women, right, which we'll talk about. So, You know, it impacts well-being, it impacts the company's bottom line, it impacts productivity, and we'll get into all of that. I think that's why we're talking more about this now. And then, obviously, COVID happened, right? So this pandemic had a significant impact, I would say, again, on um, caregiver distress and and, and workers trying to balance what they need to do at home and what they need to do at the workplace. And so all of that, I think, elevated this topic to the forefront for many employers because they could see the negative impact it was having on under employees on a daily basis.
3: And just to put a finer point on Avenue's uh, point about the the health implications of being a caregiver beyond the mental, there are true physical implications as well, because, of course, right. mental health is connected to physical health. And a study in 2014 showed that um, for older Americans, 70% of all caregivers over the age of 70 die first. So they started calling it caregiver syndrome. So the, wow. the actual physical outcomes for caregivers can be worse because they're really putting themselves second oftentimes. Right. So um, something to for, again, for employers to keep in mind.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think if you compound all the points you've just made with the fact that we have this aging baby boomer generation, mm-hmm. right, our industry as a whole have been forecasting shortage, right, for caregivers um, outside of the immediate family alike. So there is continued pressure on the horizon for actively at work, right, teammates, regardless of what industry you are in or, or regionally where you serve. So it is absolutely a, a heightening conversation with all of these trickling effects at any employer level. So very, very important topic. And it's, it's fun to think about employers thinking about this in new ways, right? We're not just focused on, when we talk about um, diversity, equity, inclusion, right? We're, we're focused on how do we not only right size those immediate or larger scale needs, you mentioned a maternity or an, an immediate health concern that takes you out of the workplace for a defined period of time, but how do we balance that all year long, right? For those more silent caregiver needs and mental health focus, right? Well-being in the workplace continuing to take front and center stage. What creative things are you seeing as you're working with employers that we should leave our audience with today to to begin brainstorming into this new year?
3: Maybe not the most creative um, to just acknowledge that, but I I think. I like, to, I like mnemonics and acronyms, so um, sticking with A's, uh, I like to say that the first thing to not do is assume, because we know what mm-hmm. assuming gets us, and this is a, a family podcast, so I won't go on. But um, Keep it clean,
0: Kelly. Come on.
3: I'm trying. Uh, you, the first Kelly, thing to do... I don't care. Do, <laughs> we'll talk offline, Jared. That's right. We want to first acknowledge those caregivers... So that's the first day is to just acknowledge them and say, we see you, um, we know this is hard we thank you for what we are what you are doing um, even if, if even if we don't know you that you're a caregiver we know that you're out there um, and then the next is to ask to ask them what they need and what they want and that in and of itself may be a, a novel idea just to start with a, a poll survey or asking managers to have those conversations because a lot can be learned before we start going to, flashy, fun solutions that um, have their place, but may not be the the first thing that's needed and it's going to be the most broadly, uh, you know, must have the most broad utility.
0: I think on a past podcast, I brought up the stuff that's in the refrigerator and people made fun of me for liking to eat. So I'm going to use it again. Let's have some fun. <laughs> but your refrigerator is filled with all sorts of... Materials. Your plan is filled with things that can support different scenarios. Could be an EAP plan. It could be a mental health solution. Rebuild that and retool that, and communicate that, and arm the individuals Mm. that are on the front lines to have those those ready conversations. Because I think what we and we've touched on this a bit, but build on that further. The impact of mental health or productivity or absenteeism has a direct and indirect cost. That's something that the employer needs to understand. Uh, could be tied back to their leave management program of somehow at the end of the day, it's going to cost the organization something. So it's one, the right thing to do. It's also, maybe we could touch on some of those things that you're seeing that tie back to direct or indirect costs that we really want to make employers aware of so they can kind of refocus and invest the right amount of time into it.
4: Yeah. I I would say, Uh, It goes back to, again, the point made about measurement, right, and then how that relates to indirect costs. So because many employers, Adam, do not measure um, the caregiver needs of their workforce, um, and some sort of struggle to really truly implement an effective culture of caring in place, we find that many employees actually end up worrying about admitting to caregiver responsibilities, right? And they worry about that from the perspective of they don't want to be penalized, right, in terms of career growth. And so that unfortunately leads to this sort of self-fulfilling negative cycle of caregiver distress, which contributes to the mental health distress, which contributes to low productivity, ultimately low engagement, and then it, it hurts the company's bottom line, right? So to your point around direct and indirect costs, I think there are many. We see them um, um, in the health domain when it comes to health and well-being, but Kelly and I are a huge proponent of the fact that individual well-being and um, a company's bottom line, ensuring a positive company's bottom line, those two values are not mutually exclusive, right? And so when we think about caregiving and why companies should invest in this, I think there are direct and indirect connection points that we can make between you know, finding the right solutions and addressing caregiving, but also having the resilient organizations where people can bring their best selves to work. And 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 that actually impacting the company's bottom line in a positive way.
3: And going back to your point on the refrigerator example and what's in there, Ed, it can be things maybe as, as simple as re-communicating and providing guidance on something like a dependent care FSA and do your employees understand what it is and how to use it? Do they know about the leave policies? There are also um, some tax incentives for employers to supplement, you know, the, the costs of care for those caregivers, um, whether it be dependent care or, or otherwise, and uh, helping to, to guide employers on Avenues and vehicles to uh, find those those tax benefits is is another thing that um, you know we can we can do to help. And there are also vendors that can uh, assist with that. But there there's a lot that can be done with what's already in that refrigerator.
2: I just got to say, Adam, we got to stop recording around lunchtime because
0: Adam always brings up the <laughs> refrigerator. <laughs> no, just... It's tough. I still have an issue Maybe. with you saying your two yep. favorite teammates. I thought oh, you're talking okay, about man. Vanessa and I, but I actually have to agree with you. It's <laughs> Avenue yep. and Kelly. <laughs> Two of my favorite
2: teammates. Two uh, of <laughs> many. Yes, I have lots of favorites. But one of the things that I think we always try to leave our, our listeners with is some actionable items. Um, and I think that as employers are really trying to find ways to differentiate themselves from competition and, and attract talent and retain talent so that um, they can stabilize their workforce, is it, that's a challenge right now. What are some things that you think employers should focus on that could be differentiators in this space that could really help them stand out during this war of talent that we have across our country right now?
4: Right. So I'll I'll echo some of the things Kelly said. Um, I, I like lists, right? So I, I came up with with four things that I I, I would I would sort of suggest uh, our clients employers take a look at um, understanding. The caregiver needs of your population, I think, is critical, right? That could be pulse surveys, that could be focus groups for managers, right? I think managers typically have a really good, um, again, pulse on what is impacting the people that they manage, right? So talking to them, focus groups, otherwise, and just asking them how folks are doing, it's an important um, first step. Um, going back to the refrigerator, I would say communicate what you have. Oftentimes, the the answer isn't spending an additional PPM on something new, right? I mean, certainly there's an opportunity for those enhancements, which, which we'll talk about in a bit. But I think when we do um, program inventories for our clients, we typically find benefits that can be optimized, right? That support caregiver um, needs. And so I think that communications aspect is also really important. And I think the communications have to be um, credible, right? So many times it's also really important to have leaders in the organization who are in similar situations talk about this in ways that are perceived as credible, right? People who can be vulnerable and talk about this in a way that others can relate to. I think that workplace culture component is also really important. Um, We talk a lot about having a culture of caring, but what does that actually mean, right? I think workplace flexibility right, is an element of that. Mm. And many times um, it's really important for organizations to understand that there is a lot of power in having an employee and their manager define what flexibility means for that person, right, to the extent that that's possible within the business environment. Um, And then I would also say many managers need help, right? So many managers don't even know what to do when you are supporting someone who needs more caregiver flexibility or support. So training managers to be able to listen and to respond to these um, needs in the work workforce, I, I think is also important. And then we've also seen in terms of, again, going back to that workplace culture piece, many organizations are now deploying employee resource groups, affinity groups, which is bringing employees with similar needs um, into sort of a shared forum again where they can be vulnerable and share tips that are helpful for other people. And then last on that list, I would say benefit enhancements, right? So benefit enhancements cost money. and that's why I put them last. So think about new vendors, think about enhanced leave policies. Um, and 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 I think some of these enhancements will will make a real difference. You know, many times just to summarize real quickly, When you take a step back and say, what can I offer my employees from a caregiver perspective? I would put the actions in three buckets, time, money, and information, right? So many of the benefits sort of constitute that money piece. The flexibility constitutes the time piece, right? Many times, especially for highly paid workforces, they don't have the time, right? They could have the money. But what they really need is also the information. Like, can I just outsource this thing that I need to do to a concierge or an advocate or a navigator to help me do it? So we're seeing, again, Kelly can speak to this, the emergence of what I call truly innovative solutions in the marketplace that help employees take stuff off their plate, right? So your mom needs help finding an assisted living facility. Let let us handle this for you. We'll call 10 within you know, 10 miles of the zip code where you want mom to live and we'll find the right one. For her, so hopefully that was helpful in terms of just conveying some practical examples that employers can can deploy.
1: That concierge model certainly evolving real quick. As we say, that concierge also for our listeners out there, it's not just finding assisted living facilities. Some of these concierge services are, hey, it's like the nerdery, right? I mean, you've got mom needs help setting up her iPad or her ring doorbell. (laughs) I mean, these are all responsibilities of. That fall for pick- the record,
4: not my mom. She can set up her iPad.
1: That's amazing. Hey, I say hey, YouTube is amazing, right? Can <laughs> <laughs> teach you anything you want to know. But the reality is, those are the calls and the stressors, the daily actions that fall on those caregivers' shoulders as well, right? Whether it's for a child or for a parent, this uh, it's it's all around us. Kelly, I
0: think you. How would you round out some of those pieces that Avenue had? Because I think a lot of your expertise comes back into those those actionable items that employers can do.
3: Yeah. In terms of actionable items, I don't want to leave without acknowledging and and mentioning the statistic on, in terms of how women caregivers have been impacted uh, since the pandemic pre and post and what employers might be able to do about that. Because um, when we're talking about attracting and retaining talent, there's huge value and emphasis on diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging efforts, and a lot of that can really tie back very directly to caregivers, um, whether based on on gender or otherwise. But when it does come to gender, you know, oftentimes it is the woman in that family dynamic that assumes the primary caregiver role. Uh, while it's true that I think 40% of caregivers are male when it comes to primary caregiving roles, that's often women. And since the pandemic nearly there are 2 million fewer women in the workforce now than in 2020. So, you know, we know that many people, uh, men and women, left the workforce during the pandemic, uh, being, you know, that they lost their jobs or voluntarily left. But women have not recovered at the same rate that men have since the pandemic has, you know, slowed and, and since people have been coming back to employment. Um, And then to tie that into DEIB and even the gender wage gap, uh, there is a lot of evidence to suggest that a large proportion of the reason behind the gender pay gap is because of that primary caregiver role that women assume. And they they are coming in and out of the workforce. They are requesting more flexibility. They are going part-time. The way that women and just workers in general are compensated for time is not linear. So um, because of that, I think we will see long-term implications of both the gender wage gap and the success of organizations that are able to effectively retain those women. There's a lot of evidence to suggest that Increased diversity on boards of companies improves their outcomes, improves their organizational success. So um, the more that an employer can do to tailor their communications, their interventions to, um, I think, to women or to specific groups that are really um, absorbing that caregiver responsibility in different ways, um, all the better because it will align with their DEIB and organizational goals as well.
4: Absolutely agree, Kelly. And we have, you know, statistics which show data points which show that um, for the younger generation looking to enter the workforce, you know, these things are important and should be important to them, right? So for organizations who um, want to um, attract the best and retain the best, um, I think um, investing in caregiver resources and benefits, but also in the workplace culture that truly supports you know, women and, and families, I think will be critical.
2: I think everybody is getting an idea of why these are two of my favorite teammates. So much to share, so much to give back and knowledge and and help as they engage with our customers, as they engage with us as teammates. So much information that can be shared to help better the employee's life, help the employer retain and retract talent. And these are some fantastic ideas. Kelly Avenue, thank you so much.
3: Thank you, it's been a pleasure.
2: Thanks for having us.
3: Thank
1: you so much. Obviously, a, a topic that will not be suppressed anytime soon. Uh, we appreciate all you do and absolutely uh, look forward to more fun combos ahead with your great team. Over and out, we'll uh, look forward to having you join us for our next episode on the Benefits Breakdown. Thanks for joining us today.